Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence here right now. And Lord, we we ask that you would position our hearts to receive everything that you have. God, I thank you for your anointing upon your word. And I thank you that it does not return unto you void, Lord. And God, we lift up our hearts to you, Father, and we incline our ears to hear from you. Lord, I thank you for this now word. And I pray that every single heart would receive the full measure of what you have for us today, God. So Father, we thank you for your anointing and stir up the hunger, stir up the desire. Lord. Stir up, Lord, the passion for more of you. God, we worship you and we honour you and we thank you and we give you room, Father, to move in our lives today. We honour you, God, and thank you for your anointing upon Carl. Thank you, Father, for anointing upon your word, God, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Awesome. Hey, so it's really good to be here, not just as Mr. Butler, or Reverend Butler, or Pastor Butler, or whatever, but Mr. In fact, uh, the name Butler comes from the, it's an America, Americanized version of the French boutillier, okay, which actually means the keeper of the wine, which I kind of like being a preacher of the word. You know, Genesis chapter 40, verse 1, there you have the, the butler or the cup bearer who, who was the one who, who brought the, the king's cup to him. Good. Amen. And uh, it's good to be here serving drinks at the king of king's table today and uh, I'm just kind of curious how many people uh, would like a little bit of heavenly wine this morning give me away because I believe God's going to pour it out today and uh, when we uh, came into the new year uh, we gathered some friends around at my house and we had a new year's eve prayer night and that's kind of started something in our house where we have a, a monthly prayer meeting with a bunch of pr- uh, friends who just love pushing into God and it's been very very exciting but on that prayer night it was it was one of those wonderful things we came to the new year it ticked over New Year. There was an amazing sense of the presence of God. And many of us felt at the same time that it was going to be the year of the new wine, that God was literally going to bring that new wine out of us. And it was very, very exciting to just to have that in our spirits. And uh, the reality is, though, because I, I felt to write a message about it pretty much immediately, but we're so busy just traveling all over the world, pouring it out, that I hadn't got around actually writing this message until this week. And I was working on it last night, and I finished at 10.30 last night, and then saved it on my tablet, and then I uh, somehow lost it. <laughs> so I had to dig it out of my computer, what I had there, and work again with it to get it to the point where I have it. So I had a bit of a late night, and um, but I believe that this is a message for now. I'm really happy that this is the first church that I'm going to preach. And I know that the devil doesn't like it because he's tried to flog it. But uh, let's, let's have a go at it tonight, uh, this morning. Amen. So the most notable scripture uh, in, in the most notable scripture associated with new wine is found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15 to 17. And it says there, the Baptists came. Why is it that we and the... Um, Forgotten it. Presbyterians. Uh, no, okay, so I'll start again. Then John, John the Baptist's disciples came and asked Jesus, Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch on an unshrunk cloth on an old garment, 
of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away and the garment will be t- uh, the, the making the tear worse. Sorry. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the wineskins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. The question, what is new wine anyway? So I'm going to give you a few kind of scriptural similarities or metaphoricals for the new wine. And the first is that new wine is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. This parable that Jesus was sharing about the new wine was in relation to God doing something new. You had these different religious groups at the time that had ways of doing things and were struggling with Jesus turning up and doing something different to the way that it had been done for a long time. So you could say that it was a new move of God. And in the New Testament, when God moves, when there's the outpouring of His Spirit, it's compared and contrasted to the drinking of wine. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, in fact, in the Bible, it says, do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many people know that's a better kind of wine to be drinking? And in Acts chapter 2, of course, famous as well, that portion of Scripture, verse 12 to 18, after God had poured out His Holy Spirit on the 120 that went out speaking in tongues and proclaiming the wonders of God and people from all nations around the world were there amazed and perplexed at what they heard and what they saw and they were asking one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Peter stood up with the 11. He said, let me explain this to you. And these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And how many people know God has been pouring out His Spirit across across the world, particularly for the last hundred years or so since the Azusa Street revival that took place in about 1906 to 1915. And that started in uh, in Los Angeles. It was a, a man, a guest preacher by the name of Willie Seymour. He was black and he was blind in one eye. And his name was Willie Seymour. I think that's hilarious, but... He was invited to preach in a church. He preached in the church about the baptism and the Holy Spirit. And they all freaked out. They locked him out of the building. He was supposed to do a series of meetings. They locked him out of the building. And he ended up doing some home group meetings in some house. And God just kind of turned up there. And, and then before you know it, they were preaching out on the balcony. And there was hundreds of people all gathering around the balcony of the house collapsed. And so they thought they'd better find somewhere to hold meetings. And they ended up having meetings in an old abandoned feedlot or warehouse type of building and uh, this was on Azusa Street and it's a building that was only about 200 square meters I don't know how and they would cram into that building anything from 300 to 1500 people so you could imagine what it was like and people came from all over the world and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they say that this is the catalyst of modern day Pentecost where the baptism of the Spirit spread all over the world like wildfire from that point until today they say that there's about 600 million people who are 
Pentecostal, that's including the charismatics, but people who have had that experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is pretty awesome. Amen. And uh, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 16 years of age and uh, hungry for God, had a friend at school. He got baptized. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. And I kind of knew it was coming for me. And then we had a guest evangelist in the meeting. He was preaching away, and uh, at the end of the meeting, he said, you know, we're going to worship God, and some of you are going to worship God in a language that you've never learned before. And I thought, that's pretty cool. Lifted my hand, filled me with the Spirit. Spontaneously, I began praying in a heavenly language, and it was, I've never stopped. I pray in tongues every single day. I love praying in that heavenly language. I know it builds me up. I know I pray prayers that are not prejudiced by my own lack of understanding or lack of faith. And God is able to intercede through me. But also the scripture says he builds us up in our faith. And I get pumped. I used to be a kind of shy, quiet guy, you know. And something about being filled with the Holy Ghost shifts you. And it enables you and it empowers you, makes you bold and confident. And God has used me. I discovered very quickly after I got back baptized in the Holy Spirit, that I was contagious. I was in another meeting, an evangelist was preaching, a young guy was there, come out for prayer, and the evangelist comes and grabs me when I'm 17 and says to me, you pray for him to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was like, don't know what to do. Okay. I went and put my hands on him. I said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Didn't know what else to pray, so I just prayed in tongues. Soon he starts praying in tongues. I was like, whoa, that's just too awesome. Amen. But look, since that time, I've literally seen tens of thousands of people all around the world baptized in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's ones and twos, and sometimes it's 10, 20, 30, 40 people in a church. Maybe in a bigger church, I've seen like 200, 300 people baptized in the Holy Spirit. When we've done our big festivals in Africa, there's times where we have a whole field full of people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's just awesome. Amen. And if you haven't yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit, today's your day. Because I know the presence of God is here and I'm filled to overflowing and I can't wait to get my hands on you. Amen. And God's going to do something in this house. It's going to be great. And Acts chapter 1 and make us feel good and build us up, which it does, but there's so much more to it than that. Acts 1 verse 8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. The whole purpose of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to become witnesses, to empower us to impact the world for Jesus, to become His hands, to become His feet, to become His mouthpiece, for Him to move through us with signs and wonders and supernatural manifestations, words of knowledge, prophecy, words of wisdom, healing, all of these things God does through us because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? How many people have noticed in recent times the freedom of speech and uh, freedom of religion is coming under threat in Australia? And it seems like the world around about us is trying to do everything it can to silence the voice of God's people, to stop the message of the gospel being proclaimed. And of course, there's many restrictions that you probably are aware of in your workplaces, you know, perhaps in education or in a medical situation where you're not allowed to say much about God or you're not allowed to pray for people. If you do, you get in trouble. We were, we were in New Zealand ministering and there was a doctor who uh, just loved to pray for people in his practice. And he was praying for a man and his wife was there. And it just so happened the wife's sister heard about this, kicked up a big stink and he got dragged before some kind of I don't know what you call it, the mob that they pull the doctors in front of and give them a spanking. But uh, it was like that. 
And of course, we're all aware of, you know, the, our, high, our friend, the high profile um, particular rugby player going around. This is interesting how Israel, the nation of Israel, came under attack just a couple of weeks ago, about a week ago. Came under, you know, rocket fire and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, uh, you know, the threat of losing your job, where well, he has lost his job simply because of quoting scripture on his private, what do you call it? Yeah, Instagram, public, what do you call it? Media, social media. Amen. But I believe, I mean, praise God for the way things turned out last night. I believe this has given us a window. It's given us a breather. And, uh, but it's not just a breather to sit back and go, let's just do nothing now. It's all good. I think God has given us a window to go for it. Amen. To go out there to preach the gospel without fear. Reach out and touch our nation and win as many as we can before the tide turns once again. Amen. And, uh, you know, the Bible says actually in Acts Chapter 4, verse 25 to 31. See, because we have a choice at this moment in, the, in, in history when all these external pressures are coming on us. We have a choice to be silenced or be empowered. And in Acts 4, 25, here you had the, 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 the you know, disciples, the mob, Jesus' people. They were out there preaching around. Having been filled with the Spirit, they're excited about it. But then the authorities were getting on to them and trying to shut them down. And then so they come to the Lord in, in Acts 4, 25 to 31 and said to the Lord, The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. And just jumping a little bit. They did what your power and will decided beforehand would happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and said of God boldly. Isn't that an incredible response to the intimidation that the world tries to put upon us? We just come to God and say, on, you let that happen, but... Out your hand, and I believe that's what God wants to do. The only answer, real crisis that's facing not just Australia but many countries around the world where they're trying to squash the church down is some new wine. Amen. It's, it's time for the church to boldly rise in the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, for God also to stretch forth His hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders in our midst. Amen. And I'm excited about that. I think this is normal for us to expect God to do extraordinary things wherever we are as Christians and to flow with us and move with us. The second point I want to make is that the new wine and miracles go hand in hand. John chapter 2 Verse 1 to 10 is the story of the wedding in Cana. You know the story. Jesus is minding his own business and they ran out of wine. And then Mary says to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus is like, well, what's that got to do with me? And Mary just ignores basically Jesus' resistance and says to the servants there, hey, you guys, just do what he says. And so Jesus almost reluctantly says, all right, tell them to go fill those big uh, water pots over there with water, fill them up, and then take some of that water to the toastmaster. And so they go, they fill the pots up, they take some of that water to the Toastmaster. By the time it gets to the Toastmaster, it's been turned into wine. And the Toastmaster takes a sip and he's like, mm, but you have kept the best 
to last. And I love that about God. Amen. He's keeping the best to last. And we've seen God do some great things throughout the years. And some of you have got memories with God, God moving. And let me tell you something, He's keeping the best to last. Amen. And in these days where He's pouring out His Holy Spirit, and He's going to pour out His Holy Spirit in greater measure around the world, we are going to see greater miracles than we've ever seen. We're going to see greater moves of God than we've ever seen. We're going to see greater in gatherings than we've ever seen all around the world. It's going to be awesome. And you know, just as the Toastmaster was astonished when he saw that new wine, when he tasted that new wine, it just, it just doesn't normally happen this way. And the servants looked on at wonder and the, the people there were amazed at what God does or what God did, as they will be. Everyone's going to be amazed. I think it's going to be awesome. Smith Wigglesworth. If you don't know who Smith Wigglesworth was, he was one of the healing evangelists in the middle of last century. A great man of God. And he actually didn't kind of start his, his ministry until into his 50s. He had an encounter, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, got set on fire for God, became a man of great faith. They called him the apostle of faith. He raised 14 people from the dead during his ministry and, and a whole lot of other incredible miracles. He'd walk up to somebody in a cafe who had a big cancer on their face. He'd just walk up to them, grab the cancer, pull it off, put it on the table and walk away. That's pretty awesome, eh? I'd punch people in the stomach. They'd spit cancers out of their mouths and all sorts of awesome stuff. Incredible miracles happening through, through Smith Wigglesworth, right? But he was also a very prophetic man. And he shared a prophecy that has been spoken over this nation many times. If you haven't heard it, I want to share it with you because it's very pertinent for the days in which we're living right now. And this is what he declared. You have been chosen by God. It will be the greatest move ever known in mankind's history and start, will start towards the end of the 20th century and move into the 21st century. This move of God will start a great revival in Australia and spread throughout the whole world and usher in the second coming of Jesus. This will be the final revival before the coming of the beginning of the end of the 20th century. That's, that's already happened. Has this already begun? I believe we've had a taste. But what we've had has just been an appetizer, really, of what is to come because it's, it's certainly not the whole thing because Jesus hasn't come back yet, has he? And, uh, you know, if, if it's going to be the greatest move of God in history, buckle your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen, because we are in for some incredible, powerful and supernatural manifestations of God's presence. You ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. Turn to the person beside you and say it. You ain't seen nothing yet. Dun, dun. My wife told me never to do that. But you know, this prophecy, not only was it awesome in that context, when he shared it with Lester Summerall, he gave a few more insights into it. And this is what he said to Lester Summerall. I see the last day's revival. It will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. I see hospitals being emptied out, churches where they allow the Holy Spirit to move. I see every form of disease healed. Nobody count those who come to Jesus. No disease will be able to uh, stand before God's people. It will be a worldwide thrust of God's power and God's anointing upon mankind. Hallelujah. God is keeping the best to last. And I believe this is the days that we're about to break into that. Amen. There's a, a move of God that is beginning to break and rumble and you can feel it's about to bust all over the world. At the, this is what it's going to do. It's going to be great. Uh, 
I've had just an incredible time serving the Lord through the years. And a lot of you know my story, how God opened up the nation of Africa. In fact, even before he did that, I'd been preaching all over the world. I've been to 54 countries preaching and, and seeing God do incredible things. But in 2005, when I was in Sydney, Australia, at the National ACC Conference, I uh, had a real encounter with God where he gave me a vision. He spoke to me, as clear as I've heard his voice, five million souls. It was like Tommy Barnett had been preaching about multiplication. He said, if you want anything multiplied, just shout it out. I shouted out souls and miracles. That was it. My fingers went into the power sockets of heaven. There was this divine download. And God spoke to me. Five million souls. And I'm like, God, that's huge. That's like Reinhard Bonnke. That's like Benny Hinn. I don't know how to do five million souls. I kind of put it on the shelf. But God had a plan, you know. Suddenly I get these connections in Africa and the doors start opening up in Africa. We go over into Africa and I start doing crusades. And the first few crusades that we did there were just kind of like hundreds, maybe 600 salvations, something like that. And then it just started getting on the roll, you know. went to 600 and then it went to over 1,000 and there was like 1,800 and then it went up to 5,000, 6,000 and then it was like 10,000 and then 15,000. Sorry, we had an accident after that. My truck got flipped. We'd seen tens of thousands of salvations, but my truck got flipped on the highway and written off and it kind of closed the door in Africa for a season. We went back 2005. Jamie came with us, wherever he is in here, uh, in 2015. And uh, we just did a couple of small crusades at the time. We were just setting out our equipment and just seeing how things were. But amazingly, since that time, God has opened up other doors. And, uh, you know, you kind of, I was thinking Africa's got to be where it's all going to happen. But in recent times, God's opened up Brazil. And uh, I think I might have shared about it when I was here last time. I went into Brazil at, at the invitation of the father of a young guy who came to Australia. A Brazilian guy came to Australia to learn English. Stayed in my house for 18 months and then he went back to Brazil. His father was a pastor. Came over with his mum. They came and had a holiday. Stayed in my house for three weeks. And they said, come back to Brazil. Come preach for us. I'm like, okay, one day. I wasn't in a hurry, but uh, I ended up going September of 2017, and I preached in about eight churches. God just started breaking loose in these churches. Uh, before I'd left the country, I got invited to this conference of the Brazilian four million adherents, and it was incredible. I preached, preached to 900 pastors, and that's just blowing the nation open. And I had invitations then to go back to start speaking with the presidents of different churches, big churches and big cities and, and states and things like that. And we've got all these open doors around Brazil. I went back about six months after that, preached it to another 1,200 pastors, again in the National Pastors, uh, National President's Church. And, and just, we've got this open door in favor. We've been back again. We're going back again in September. And I just believe God's going to do something incredible. They want to do crusades. These, these presidents want me to do crusades in their city. So it's like, 210 million people and uh, this is awesome they're so hungry and so open the gospel over there and so I just believe in God's going to do something awesome it's going to be great and we'd have meet we'd have meetings where we'd literally for two hours after the service pray for lines of people one of the things I'm doing is now taking teams of people with me to Brazil and the team's getting bigger and bigger because I just need more and more people who want to pray for the sick because we'll have lines of people. We prayed for two hours, just person after person, healing after healing after healing. Some of those churches, every single person we pray for got healed. It's been awesome, you know, we're just like sight's been restored, paralyzed arms being healed and ears open, all the works, you know, pain, all sorts of stuff is happening. It's really, really exciting. And, uh, you know, not only in 
places like Africa and Brazil is God doing that. He's doing that in Australia. You know, he's moving in New Zealand. We just come back from New Zealand this week, and, and uh, there, was a, there was a man in a church who was 80 years, age, 80 years of age, and he was getting glaucoma in one eye. The problem was his other eye had been almost blind since he was 14 because he had poked it with a screw. And so I started praying for him, uh, and, and suddenly the eye for, that had been blind for 66 years came open and he could see and he was reading the, the drum, the name on the drum and all that. He said, hey, hey my, my bad eyes become my good eye. I thought, that's pretty good. So, you know, I can tell you lots of stories, but I just know that there's more to come. And, and I'm pursuing more and I'm pushing in for more and I'm believing for more and I'm praying for more, you know. And, and if you need a miracle today, we're going to pray for you. We're going to believe God that God's going to touch your life. It's going to be awesome. Amen. Now, the new wine, also number three, is associated with a harvest. Deuteronomy 11:14 says then I will send rain on on your land in its season both autumn and spring rains so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil <clears throat> comes from God will be an abundant harvest could you say amen to that and he has promised a day of harvest he's promised a day of overflow in which the harvest and the new wine will be great In Amos chapter 9, verse 13, the Bible says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. Isn't that awesome? We find in the New Testament, Jesus starts to take the focus of the harvest off actually what you eat and drink and putting it onto the ingathering of souls of men and women. And John chapter 4, verse 35, he says, Don't say four months until the harvest. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. How many people know the fields are ripe for harvest in Australia? And I believe God's setting it up for us. I believe He's opening it up for us. He's opening up people's hearts for us here in Australia. And, uh, you know, I've seen God do great things overseas. He's doing great things. We've got ministries like CFAN. You've probably heard Run Out Monkey's ministry, now taken over by Daniel Kalinda, has had 78.5 million recorded decisions for Jesus in the recent years, in the last 10 or 15 years. And, and there's other evangelists out there that are winning their hundreds and some their thousands, some their tens of thousands. Even some I know, some of my friends have won several million people to Jesus and it gives me an encouragement. I know it can happen. And when we started in Africa, we got that ball rolling and it's pretty exciting. And in, in November of uh, 2017, I had the privilege of being invited by Reinhard Bonnke, an all-expensive-paid trip, to go to Lagos, Nigeria, to his final crusade. He invited 40 evangelists from around the world. And it wasn't just to come and watch. It was all about the passing of the flaming torch. I mean, it was amazing. It was exciting. It was a powerful crusade. There was about 1.7 million people gathered over the, over the five days. And 845,000 recorded decisions for Jesus. So it was better than nothing. And, um, but, yeah, I'd gone with this great hunger and a great expectation, particularly concerning the passing of the flaming torch. It's like, man, if there's a flaming torch being offered, that's, uh, you know, the fire for souls, to win souls. I want that. And I went there and he prayed over us and I took hold of that. And I, and I just believe by faith that I received that. And I came back from there and I went to New Zealand and I preached in New Zealand. The first church I preached and I scared myself. I really scared myself. It was like the fire of God was just all over me. And, and, and since that time, I'm just seeing God move in an incredible way. 
And even in churches in Australia, greater numbers of people responding. Because I'm sensing there's an urgency. I'm sensing the days which we're living, it's like God is giving us a wake-up call. It's like we can't be slumbering around. We can't be slacking and mucking around. It's like time to wake up and rise up and be who we're called to be. Amen. And people in churches have kind of not really made a commitment and making a commitment. And people are coming and getting saved. And it's just exciting. And it's not just in you know, like ministry context. It's just I'm finding, I don't know about you, but the harvest is so ripe here. You know, we're leading Uber drivers to Jesus flat out. They're so easy to lead to Jesus. If you, if you want to get an Uber, try it, you know. And it's awesome. We, when we were in New Zealand, uh, we had an accident. We were down the South Island and we were coming up through Haas Pass. If you know the South Island, coming from the East Coast to the West Coast, we've been in Queenstown. We were coming up through the mountains and it was a rainy night. And the uh, GPS had said four and a half hours from Queenstown to Haas Pass. Um, no, from Queenstown to Franz Joseph Glacier. And so, but it actually took us more like seven and a half hours. So it was dark before we got there. And in the last sort of, I don't know, few minutes, it was only the last... 15 minutes of the trip, we were coming through these windy gorges, it was raining, the wipers were going, it wasn't the best kind of wiper blades on the window, and, and we're driving along, and suddenly out of nowhere in front of me, a rock appeared on the road, it was quite a large rock, and uh, I just hit the rock, and we went over it, and literally the car flew, and Fee gave me some sound effects, it was really, really interesting, <laughs> back on the road, and kept going, and it was like... And it was raining and I thought, I don't know what damage has happened and I can't get out and look because it's pouring with rain and I don't really want to get out and look anyway because it's pouring with rain and, and it's dangerous on that port of the road. So I just kept on going and we kept until the town. We got to the town, pulled over and, and it was all good to that point. And then I had a warning light came on. I thought, I wonder what this is. And then a bit of noise in the engine. And <laughs> so we creeped around to the hotel and tried to move the car after we'd had dinner and it wouldn't even move after that. So... We had a mechanic look at it, and it leaked all the oil out. And uh, but praise God, we got to the town. But you know, they, the, the mechanic there came and he helped us out, and couldn't get the parts. It was like seemed like we were going to have to pay two thousand dollars to get this car carried down to Christchurch and all that. And I just had this brainwave. I said, "Mate, why don't you just punch out that um, that sump and weld it up and put it back on again?" He's like, "Oh, I think I might be able to do that." So cutting a long story short, he did. He he actually stayed up at night did it in the evening after he'd sort of put his kids to bed, went back to work. And then he came and picked us up early in the morning, took us back to his workshop. We dropped him there, paid, his, paid him the bill. And I said, mate, look, we, we're Christian and, uh, you know, we'd like to pray for you. Would you like us to pray for you? And I, and I just prayed for him. I didn't actually, like, get into witnessing to him because we were going to get on the road and we had quite a long trip, about another eight-hour drive that day. And I thought, simple prayer over him, blessing him and his business and all that. And then just a couple of nights ago, I got this text from touch my heart because when you have an accident like that when you're over there we'd been preaching in Omaru and then we were preaching in Blenheim so we were just kind of on the way between preaching and uh and when you have an accident like that you think what the heck was that all about it's sort of stuck in that town for a day you know and all that and I get this email from him this little message because he'd been communicating with me as well because he forgot to put something on the car but and he said you know hey I've been thinking about you guys praying for me and uh I can't get it out of my mind, you know, and, 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 and I've started praying again. And uh, I, I just can't wait to kind of get in touch with my spiritual side. And I just thought, how cool is that? And so I've been communicating with them about reading the word. And, and so every soul counts. 
You know, you might not be one who's up on a stage winning tens or hundreds or thousands to Jesus, but you can just connect with anybody in your, your day, in your world, and you'll find in these days in which we're living right now, particularly in Australia, the harvest is right. People are asking questions. People have been blown away by crazy stuff that's been going on. And now we have an opportunity to speak up and speak out and go for it because the harvest is in. Number four, news, God's promise is being for. You know, when God promised his people the land of Canaan, he spoke continuing. It was basically part of the package, something tangible that they could look forward to and expect when they got into the promised land. Deuteronomy 33, 28 says, So God, oh sorry, so Israel will see. Jacob will dwell second of grain and new wine, where the heavens drop dew. I like that. Where the heavens drop dew. Isaac, uh, you know, Isaac, who became Jacob, when he, um, sorry, Isaac, who prayed for his son Jacob, who became Israel, when he prayed over him the the patriarchal blessing, said, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. How many people would like some dew drops from heaven this morning? Uh, wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe you've been holding on to a promise from God. I believe we're entering into a season where promises are about to be fulfilled. This is your season. Amen. So even as Pete was saying this morning, press in for it today. Don't hold back. Press in for it today and take hold of God's promise. Number five, new wine brings celebration. In Old Testament times, the seasonal crushing and treading out of the wines was a, was a time, treading out of the grapes was a real time of celebration and the community came together and there were great shouts of joy and also we see like um, wine associated with joy and gladness until it's kind of abused too much. That with a lot of cultures around the world, there's a lot of celebration goes on hand in hand with that. And I'm not one given to the habit of drinking wine, but I have experienced revival. And just the very thought of uh, what happens when God pours out his new wine, that in itself puts a smile on my face, amen. And it just causes the laughter to rise in my spirit. And how many people feel a bit of a celebration coming on? Eh? I can sense it. It's like I just know God's about to do something and he's already beginning to do it. So who would like to some new wine. Give me a wave today. You'd like some new wine? Well, let me just give you the sobering bit before we do that. Because if you want some new wine, you have to become a new wineskin. You have to become a new wineskin. Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, Jesus said, Neither do people pour new wine into old skin, old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. In those days, many people listened to the teachings of Jesus, uh, but not everybody was willing to respond to him, right? There was, there was too many traditions. The traditions were like the driving force of many of the religious leaders of the day, of the first century, and they, they had become too accustomed to their old ways of doing things. The sad reality is that hasn't changed for about 2,000 years. But Jesus made it very clear, you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. Now, obviously and evidently during the days of Christ, people had other kind of containers that they carried. The container was a good example of that. There were the big water pots, 100-liter pots that carried water and carried wine. All right? 100 liters. Jesus made 600 liters of wine. I always think about that. That was Jesus' first miracle. And, he cre- the, and it was at a point where the toastmaster said, 
they've already eaten and drunk to their full. You know, normally when they bring out, they bring out the cheap wine when people are eaten and drunk to their full. They'd already had a good feed. They'd already had a good drink. And Jesus created 600 litres of premium wine. But what was he thinking? It's like, <laughs> they're going to go home sloshed, you know. So, or maybe he was just there to be a blessing. I don't know what was going on. But Jesus really, really did an abundance right there, which is pretty awesome. But, you know, most of the people in the day were, were nomadic herding in tents and and all kinds of like clay pot around with your water for the day. You got your mates, says, chuck me the glass of water, chuck me the bottle of water, mate. So, <laughs> You're going to have to look for something else to carry your fluids around in. And of course, back in those days, the herding of sheep was uh, the most significant resource available to them. They didn't just eat the, eat the meat and all that and make the wool, take the wool and make their clothes. But when they had removed the meat and the wool, they took the skins and cleaned them up, prepared them, stitched them up and uh, turned the skin inside out and voila, they had a nice stretchy drink bottle. And uh, first of all, they would make the wine by, by uh, picking the wine and then crushing it out, pressing it out. You've probably heard of the wine press. It's like when people get on it and jump it. So jump on it. So new wine is from grapes that have been through a recent process of crushing. They've come through the wine press. The Hebrew translated here, new wine means freshly pressed, squeezed, expelled, trodden out underfoot. How many people here have felt a recent squeezing? a little bit of crushing, maybe you felt a little bit trodden down or whatever it might be, be encouraged. The new wine's about to flow. Amen. It's about to flow. In fact, sometimes it has to happen first before the new wine can flow. James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Give me a wave if you'd like to be mature and complete and not lacking anything. All right, just a little bit of crushing, a little bit of squeezing, a little bit of treading out happens first. But how many people know that God has a way of making something sweet out of something bitter? I mean, what you go through, what's difficult in that season is going to lead to incredible blessing in your life. So once they've prepared this, uh, this bag, this wineskin, they, they combine the freshly squeezed wine together with yeast, water, and sugar. And then the new wine is, goes into this new flexible wine skin. And then they, they stitch it up. They open in where they poured it in the neck of the, of the animal. And they stitch it up tight. And uh, it would be like completely closed up. No air in there. And then it would be put on a shelf to ferment for the wine to age. And then during this, this aging process, the, the flexible skin played a significant part in it because the new skin would expand and contract many times while the, while the wine was aging. Just a little bit like my stomach does and has been doing more so lately, expanding without contracting. I mean, it used to expand and contract. I used to wake up in the morning and it was gone, but I has this happened to any other men? Give me a wave. Since you got married, it's kind of like my stomach's gone past the point of no return. It expands now, but it doesn't contract. I've got to do a bit more exercise, I think. But uh, 
But Jesus was making something very, very clear here concerning his kingdom, God's kingdom, for any person or for any church to receive the new wine, they must provide the Lord with flexible vessels. They must provide the Lord with a new wine skin. But then Jesus goes on to point out a troubling reality, and that's in Luke chapter 5, verse 39, which is another, another account of the story in Scripture. There he adds on this bit, and it says, No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better or the old is good enough. And how many people are like that? You know, no tendency to get stuck in their ways and they let their cultural identity rob them of the freedom that's available to them in Christ. And you've got others that would drag even the dark aspects of ancient cultures into the modern life, keeping them bound. Or people who hold on to familiar expressions of faith, which were once liberating, but now have become restraining. See, religion is one of the greatest restraints on the flow of new wine. Now, it's important that we have sound doctrine and uh, you know, doctrinal understanding and that we have good foundations to our expression of faith. But when, when our Christian traditions and dogma box us in, they also box out the Holy Spirit. As it was with the Jewish religion during the time of Christ, at various stages in history, the wineskin of Christianity in the mainstream has become old, it's become stuck, it's become religious, it's become uh, rigid, it's become restrictive and increasingly irrelevant. But it's taken several, several hundred years of revelation and restoration for the truth to bring light and new life and freedom back into the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, and we saw that like starts with the Reformation, you know, Martin Luther back there in the 16th century nailing his thesis on the, on the cathedral door, which is justification by faith. And sort of things start rolling from that point. You had the great 18th century, or was it the 19th century? But I think the 19th century. And, and, you know, the holiness movement, and then a whole lot of people were getting saved. There was Finney and all those kind of revivals taking place around. And then you had the beginning of the 20th century, the Pentecostal outpouring Azusa Street and other places around the world after that. And, and you know, in Azusa Street, when, they, when God was moving in that place, the media and the theologians were reporting on it, saying that the uh, behaviors were considered to be outrageous, outrageous and unorthodox. So it was shocking the people of the day, you know, because they were stuck in their box and wouldn't let God move outside the box. And then we kind of moved on. We had the healing revivals from the 40s and the 50s, great men of God like Smith Wigglesworth and A.A. And, um, Allen and John G. Lake and all these, these great men of God, uh, healing sort of become mainstream, the charismatic move where, you know, mainstream churches got involved in the Pentecostal outpouring. That all happened in the 60s. And then you have the Jesus movement in the 70s and the faith movement in the 80s. And then you had the revival moves of God in the 90s. And, and all these things have kind of been working on the church. The church God has been shaping and molding and squeezing and pressing and, and bringing us to the point where we are today. And I believe we're stepping into a new move of God and it's including a lot of evangelism around the world, a lot of healing flowing, a lot of ordinary Christians rising up and stepping out in faith and God using them. And it's just like this great wave of a harvest is going to come into the kingdom. Amen. But it's still too common today for people to make a custom a denomination 
or a movement out of a move of God. It's when we celebrate what has happened rather than what has, is happening, we miss out on what God is doing now. And it's been said that some of the greatest uh, proponents of God often become the greatest opponents of the next move of God. So like people, this is how God does it, and he only does it this way. And if that's all we can think, we miss out. We can't be involved in what God wants to do next. And, uh, you know, contemporary churches, I love contemporary churches. This is a contemporary church. I'm from a contemporary church. Contemporary churches, I believe, have been great in helping us reach the next generation. Now, people can relate to a contemporary church. Contemporary churches relate more to people where they're at instead of just being all tied up in religion and formality and, and those type of things. And... Uh, it's all good, but even a contemporary church that doesn't allow room for the Holy Spirit to move soon becomes an old wineskin. And uh, it's not just about moving with the times, it's about moving with the Spirit. And one of the things I was happy to see in our movement a couple of years ago when we had a conference called Contemporary Spirit, it was like, you know, this, we're realising that there was a little bit of a reaction to the move of God in the 90s, and the church matured in some ways, but in other ways it kind of just kind of kept the move of God at bay for a season but there was this realization hey we really need God to move we're hungry for God to move and we want God to move genuinely carry that contemporary spirit thing all through those years amen it's been awesome to come here and see the Holy Spirit move and uh, but the church be contemporary at the same time our, our latest national conference just uh, a couple of weeks ago before we went to New Zealand it was awesome, eh? It was just so powerful, and I was just so excited with our national president, Pastor Wayne Elkhorn, preaching and just, just setting us up eh, for a great expectation. Because we've entered not just into a new season, it's a new era. It's a whole new era. And, uh, you know, we just about had a, s a significant cultural change in the wrong direction in our country. But I believe it's time for a cultural change in a whole new different direction, a better direction. And that's what God's wanting to bring about. And it's all about the wine flowing. And Wayne made this incredible statement. He said, let the new wine flow and God will determine the shape of the wineskin. Isn't that good, eh? So it's just like, come on, God, have your way, do what you want to do, and uh, we get formed. See, because not only is God transforming His church, but He's also transforming each one of us into the image of Jesus. So that we can, each one of us can reflect the glory of God in our lives. So that people can literally see God in us. It's not just being churchy people. It's not just being religious people. But people coming and looking at you and saying, wow, there's something about you. What is it about you? What are you carrying? What do, what do you know that I don't know? Because God wants to work in us. He wants to transform us into the image of the fullness of Christ, like Christ in character, but also to be like Christ indeed. Jesus himself said, the works that I do shall you do also. And even greater works, amen, so that he, he's thrown it open for us to do great things. But for us to be recipients or carriers or distributors of this new wine, we must be new wine. Skin is flexible. It's not telling God how to move. Or work, it's allowing him to work and move the way he wants to work and move in us and through us. Amen. And uh, it's not just about our, our expressions of faith and religious dogma, but it's just having a heart that allows God to change us. And if you're not being changed, if you haven't changed for a while, it might be a good thing to say, hey, God, is there something in me that needs to shift? Is there something in me that needs to change? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed and transformed into his image. So it's a process. Amen. And it's a process until 
Christ is fully formed in you. And we continue to allow him to work in us. By his spirit, he works in us. The good thing is this. We might say, well, I've got struggles with this and I've got struggles with that. I feel condemned. I feel this and that. The reality is it's all about allowing the wine, the Holy Spirit in you to do the work. And he'll show you, he will transform you just as you yield to him and to his work within you. Amen? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? So you ready for some new wine this morning? Amen, because I know God's wanting to pour it out. we just got to bring him the new wineskins, eh? Just come and say, hey, God, I'm willing. I've got a willing heart. I've got a willing spirit. I'll do what you want me to do. It's really what we're talking about is lordship, isn't it? Not just talking about, you know, saying, yeah, uh, forgive me, Lord. It's like, yes, Lord, forgive me, but be my Lord. Help me. You be the boss. You be in control. You, you, take, you lead me and take me and do whatever you want to do with my life. And when we do that, it's awesome. You know, we start feeling what he feels. We start thinking the way he thinks and starts doing what God did. Amen. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Bayside Christian Church.